who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I can call you Jennifer, right? You can, but I, I'm just so more used to JJ, honestly. Hi, and Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a great holiday, that you had time with your loved ones, and you're ready to kick off 2024. Ever heard of Jay-Z, Outkast, Mark Ronson? Yeah, those iconic names owe a part of their success to my guest today. She's a powerhouse at Rock Nation. She was general counsel and EVP, who not only fought fiercely for artists, but also played a pivotal role in shaping Rock Nation's vision, expanding its portfolio into TV, film, branding, sports, and media entertainment. Yeah, She's the power behind those powerhouses. And her last name is Justice. And she definitely lives up to that name. She's been a champion for gender equality and diversity, serving on boards that share these initiatives. She's founded the Justice Department. It's an advisory consulting and law firm. And it's dedicated to advocating for female founders, talent, executives, and brands. She is on a mission to represent and empower women turning each into a lady boss. With all of that said, her origin story may surprise you, as she came from a modest background and overcame biases and challenges to get to where she is today, the top. She's going to share her journey, revealing how she connected with a community seemingly opposite from herself. So how did she do it? And what is she doing to change things for women? Well, buckle up, because I've got a real fire starter named Jennifer Justice, also known as JJ. JJ, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing these days? I am good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this today. I am 
seriously giddy with excitement to have you on board. I need to just dive in first and foremost. I love what you're doing. Let's just set up the um, enormous amount of things that you've done. You're the founder of the Justice Department. I'm actually going to get you a t-shirt that says Justice, like on the back, like a baseball shirt. (laughs) Give audiences a little bit of a snapshot of uh, what the Justice Department does. And I also want to talk about your podcast called Taking Care of Lady Business. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the Justice Department, which again, is like the best fucking name ever. I had to use my last name. So I have to give you a little background to really understand what we do. So I spent 17 years as Jay-Z's personal entertainment attorney and worked at Rock Nation and became the EVP doing all strategic marketing and business development. And in music, agents have a specific role and they book live performances for the artist. That is their main role. You know, it's not like film and TV where they're negotiating every one of their outlets. They don't have anything to do with their recording agreements. They have nothing to do with their publishing agreements. And for the most part, they weren't as particular then, and Jay-Z never had an agent, negotiating things for starting new companies or sponsorships, endorsements, et cetera. So I was doing all of that. And I did it for a really long time. Jay turned his hobbies into businesses. He was one of the pioneers doing that way before anybody else was doing it. And so I had a really big purview into what those deals would look like, what works for both sides, et cetera. And it really helped him obviously accumulate a lot of wealth by yeah. growing businesses based off of his primary means of exploitation, how people knew him, right? And he built businesses around it. I was watching all this happen, you know, at a front row seat, I was in it, but I was also super passionate about gender equality. I had represented a lot of women and and in particular executives in the music industry and saw firsthand a massive discrepancy between the pay of people doing the exact same job, the exact same title. In fact, most of the time, women had a higher title than a man. And I was like, this is crazy. Mm. After I had basically set my, my resume and my reputation and my legacy, I was like, what can I do that is really helping feed my passion? And I was like, you know, I'll start the Justice Department. It's the exact same thing I was doing for Jay, which was business strategy, business development, and legal strategy, which there is a legal strategy, but I'm going to do it only for women. And I'm not just going to do it in the music industry because I wasn't just doing it in the music industry anyway for the last 10 years with Jay. So I was like, I'll do it for everybody. For doing it in all different industries, if I know how to do it and have the experience. And so that includes not only helping with legal agreements, it's also helping and basically coaching women yeah. when it comes to building and growing their businesses and making more money, whether that's an executive, whether that's talent, whether that is a female founded company, it is helping them maximize their wealth. Yeah. You shepherd uh, a lot of different women and projects and brands in all different genres, from what I understand, from the creative music to the digital space, literally everything. But you're now completely laser focused on empowering other women and building other women up. And you really have been and are a champion. There's so many people that talk it and say it, but they don't do it. There is this old stereotype, unfortunately, that women are very competitive. And and granted, that is still true in some ways. Obviously, the conversations we're having are general, but I think there's a real shift 
in the mentality of being competitive and building more of a sisterhood. And you're definitely one of those people that are leading the pack. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit also about what kind of clients you like to work with and how does someone become a client of the Justice Department? The main characteristic that you have to have or belief you have to have is that in this society, women are not treated equally as men. I've talked to so many women and they're like, really, they don't get it. And they want that to change and they want to be a part of that change. And so all of my clients are like that. So that means that everything they do, they have an eye toward that. So they don't have teams full of all men. They hire other women, they give money to women. They're constantly thinking about ways to build a matriarchy system. A lot of it's emulating the way that the patriarchal system has grown. It's just without exclusion. Right. And so it's helping everybody who has never been helped before. It's all the other. And it's realizing and knowing that the other has always been underpaid, undervalued, and underestimated. Those are the people I work with. And then the next trait is they need to understand that women should not do unpaid work. So they have to pay me and they have to not ask or <laughs> complain about it because yeah. I'm telling you, I know that sounds funny, but I have been like, I can, you know, get like, oh, it's like really expensive. But literally, if it was a man, they would never second guess. Right. And we all have to check ourselves because I've done it too. You know what I mean? We're just so used to paying men. Yeah. And that we're like, oh, okay, well, that's what they charge. And the woman's like, oh, because we're not used to charging ourselves. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I had a bunch of babysitters over the past year and a half because my kids are old enough. They didn't need a full-time nanny anymore. And I had male babysitters and female babysitters. The men would tell me what they were getting an hour. And the women would be like, just accept what I offered them. And so once I had to pay the man more, I just started paying the women more. And they were like, I think you overpaid me. And I said, no, I didn't. I'm paying you what I paid the man. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. what? And I was like, well, you never asked, but I'm not going to underpay you because you didn't ask for it. That's exactly what every single company does. And they take advantage yeah. of our DNA, basically, which is to be like community driven, you know, and not to like ruffle any feathers. I'm fine with the $20 an hour. Like, what does it matter if it's 22 or 20? At the end of the day, it's after five hours, it's $10. But you know what that adds up? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's 200 or 2000 or 200,000, that adds up. And that is how many generational wealth from the very beginning, their very first job. They're negotiating. We say that women are competitive. Men are competitive too. Absolutely. It's just that they understand that they can have any single job that's out there where women see one office yeah, because there's only one woman in there. And that's the only thing that they think they can do. So what does someone have to do besides that for you to take them on? It's usually talent. They have to have their out. They have been out and they're making money in the marketplace. There's plenty of people who will start people, represent people starting out. Yeah. But I'm talking about maximizing. So it's usually women in the VP and above. Yes. I'll represent them as an executive in their agreements going in and coming out. Talent that is out there and making money. And in particular in the music industry, it's like all male teams. You'd be shocked. It's from Lady Gaga to J-Lo to Madonna. Yeah. That's like all men that 
<laughs> and I'm not talking about their creatives or their makeup artists. I'm talking about their lawyers, their yes. managers, their business managers, like the people who are really also making real money off of that. So like I represent Salt and Peppa. <sighs> Love them. And then I have female founded companies that want to surround themselves and they need to grow to another level. So they need thought leaders. They need female investors. They need to know how to activate those female investors because we control 80% of the purchasing power. We can market products without them spending a dime. I'm doing exactly what I was doing for Jay. I'm just doing it for women. And it's called different things depending on the industry. Yes. It's women who are female-founded um, businesses that have an MVP, basically. They have launched. They're probably about to do a Series A or Series B. And they need that thought leader to help them along the way and to do the other things that they just don't have time to do because they're in the weeds doing the day-to-day. I love this. And, and I want to also get to your podcast. Talk a little bit about taking care of lady business. And then what I'd like to do after that is you had mentioned in multiple interviews about being in the room where it happened. And I'm quoting Hamilton. If you could share one moment where you were standing in the room where it happened and you really clocked something that was said where you're like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Because I've had many moments in my career working in media where something really condescending was said and you're looking around the room going, did I actually hear this? Did that actually, was that actually said? Mm-hmm. And it made me realize it's amazing that we're sending people to space from like just individuals and we still can't figure out <laughs> how this equality and understanding other people's value is still such a challenge. So let's back that up for just a second. Tell me a little bit about Taking Care of Lady Business, your podcast, what you're aiming to do there. I'm ex- it's obviously a natural um, extension of you, yeah. but I'd love to hear more about it. So I started Taking Care of Lady Business podcast because... I have been in this network of women making things happen who fit all of those parameters I was talking about earlier and all different businesses Mm -hmm. who are also fed up with their industry and being like overlooked, underestimated, and undervalued. There's a woman who does every single thing that a man does in this world. More. But they're not getting all the attention. And honestly, it was the same women getting the same attention, all deservedly. It's Sheryl Sandberg or Hillary Clinton or Gloria Steinem or Ariana Huffington. Yeah. That's great. But almost every one of them, there was a something that helped them succeed. Not really Gloria. Hillary was married to Bill Clinton. And this is not to put shade on them. This is not at all to yes. detract. I understand. It's Ariana Huffington got a ridiculous amount of money from her ex-husband and it helps her start a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And Sheryl Sandberg, her godfather was Robert Summers. You know what I mean? They have it in. Right. And there's all these women out there who've done it from nothing. And women, so you can see, you can be it. I can't become Hillary Clinton because I wasn't married to an ex-president. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you can't become Beyonce because she has that talent. So who are these women who have done it all their own? And again, not to demean what they have all done. Right. They've done amazing things but who've done it on their own. So Take Care Lady Business is literally just to highlight all these different women doing different things. And I have three goals. One is, again, if you can see it, you can be it. So it's okay. I don't know what I want to do in my life. My mom didn't graduate high school. I'm first generation going to college. No one had ever been to college. And I'm both sides of my family extended. It's still pretty much that way with very limited exception. 
So women need to see it. You can see it, you can be it. Yes. Or to hire it. There are plenty of women that are raising money. Then I want Beth Ferreira from First Mark Capital, Ida Ekpudam from Gingerbread Capital. I want people to see them and go, oh, okay, there's other women out there. This is what they invest in. And third is like real tactical advice for women by women. Because as well-intentioned as men are in giving this advice, they have no idea what it's like to be a woman in business. And they never will, <laughs> right? Right. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that supporting your health can be as easy as taking two capsules a day? Each daily dose of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is formulated with 24 scientifically studied probiotic strains that support gut, skin, and heart health, helping you start the new year off right. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. When a man challenged me on that once, I said, would you give advice to a gay man about being in business? And he was like, never. And I was like... Okay. So why are you telling me? What did he say when you said that? You don't know what it's like other. So stop. Right. What was his reaction? I'm I'm an idiot. Oh my god, I never thought about that. <laughs> okay, amazing. 
to give advice like you name your price and there's a million different stats and there's research saying that when women go super hard, then people think they're a bitch and they don't get what they want. Right. Right. We have other tactics. We have other ways to do it because ultimately, and I give this advice all the time to my clients, let them come to you and tell you what they're willing to give. And nine times out of 10, it's way more than the, what the woman was expecting. Right. Because she's undervalued herself. Yes. Now, sometimes it's so low that it's okay, great. Let's goodbye. Let's move on. And then they go, wait, wait, yeah. and I said, look, such things an, uh, as an offer that's too bad to take. Okay. And I'm like, fine. You want to negotiate more and try to get that money? You're never going to get it. You know what I mean? Let's go to you being in the room where it happened. Mm -hmm. Tell me one story or one experience where you were clocking what was being said or what was happening in the room, and it really reaffirmed your belief and sort of lit. Not that you don't have a fire under your ass, JJ. Can you share one experience or one memory where you were standing in the room? What was something that was being said or happening around you that sort of reaffirmed and relit that fire mm -hmm. to help other women? Uh, I mean, there's so many instances, including like being asked to <laughs> coffee in the water and like all the things or take the notes, which sometimes in board meetings still happens. And I'm like, no. Oh, God. <laughs> One of the things that really, really pissed me off is being in rooms where we were talking about salaries or increases in salaries. And Alina said, well, she has a husband that also works and he is the sole provider for his family. So he should get more money. And I'm like, that's none of our business. That is none of our business. Did you say that? Oh, of course. Of course. Good. I was like, that has nothing to do with anything. Okay. Uh huh. If you have $50,000 to give to two different employees, then who did the better job and who's deserving of it? Right. If you have to give it to one, then that's the only question you should be answering. And if you split it, then that question should be answered who should get the majority of it. But what their family life is has nothing to do with anything. Once somebody told me because I had kids by myself. So for a very long time, it was me and I was making a lot of money and I was spending on all the stupid shit that everybody does and the lifestyle creep and overpaying on clothes and blah, blah, blah. It's just like ridiculousness. <laughs> and then you have kids and you're like, my God, they're expensive as shit. So one of my bosses and said, you have kids now, we should not get you more. I said, don't pay me more because I had kids. That's my life choice. That is not your choice. That's my life choice. Okay. You pay me more money because I deserve it. And they were just like, what? That's insane. I, no one wants a handout. Yeah. I'm from nothing. I don't want a handout. I, yeah. I did this myself. I don't want a handout because I have kids now. I love that you applied those rules that you expect from everyone else. Yeah. Also to you. Look, JJ, a lot of people don't do that. We need to face that. A lot of times people want to, you know, go this way and never go back inwards. So I appreciate that. You brought on a point that I absolutely deeply respect. And I know we've just met and I can't, I'm like already going to start a fan club, but you came from a lower income home. You built everything and earned everything that you have today and everything that you are today. You started with no ins. Can you talk a little bit about how those maybe humble or difficult challenges and being in a lower income mm -hmm. may have helped you now? Oh, yeah. And this is the second part of this question. And this is a big question. You worked with 
then up and coming artists like Method Man, Jay Z, all of these up and comers that have obviously revolutionized the music industry. But they're all men and they're all men of color. How did you break into an industry that is incredibly difficult, male dominated? And this is a podcast. You're a, a white blonde woman in America. How were you able to connect with a big group of guys and earn their trust? Mm -hmm. So that's two questions, two big questions. Yeah. How did your sort of humble beginnings help you? What were some of those difficult challenges that you learned? And how were you able to break into a room and connect with guys that are completely the opposite of you? Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's always scary doing something that no one else has done. I just kept thinking like, all my friends are going to come along with me. And then they're like, yeah, college. And then like, no one went. And it's like, oh, okay, we're going to go to law school. And then like, no one went. And really for me, it was like, I didn't have any other options. I was going to keep going forward. I was super ambitious. I wanted to change the narrative of what my life trajectory was supposed to be. And the only way to do that was by education and bigger opportunities for growth in a career instead of a job. Right. You're very limited in a job. You're not limited in a career. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of loneliness. Yes. There was a lot of hiding my past because I didn't fit in. And when I went to law school, it was like, where did you prep? And I was like, prep what? And I didn't really let, know, like people know where I was from. Everyone went to boarding school. Look, I went to University of Washington, which is a really great school, thankfully. I could have gotten into even higher schools, but I would have graduated with loans I would still be paying today. Instead, I went to law school and still got some scholarship there. And there was no one really to talk to. There's no one like me in any of those places. Right. No one with that level of poverty, really, that's um, crazily enough, even though I look like I'm from Greenwich, Connecticut, it's not at yeah. all my story, which ties into in the music industry. And when I first got out of law school, I worked at a big Wall Street firm called Hughes, Hubbard and Reed. They really quickly realized that I wanted to be a music lawyer. They're very supportive of their people. They would rather have somebody who's happy and they help place them outside and then they could potentially get business than try to like, keep everybody in. There was a guy there that had hired me. And before I started, he left and worked at Electra Records and Polygram Records. And so he helped introduce me to people in the industry. And I got to the firm that I got to because I'd interviewed at what I thought was going to be the, the big firm that some of the names I just mentioned were women I just mentioned or are clients of, but it's literally all men. It's all men to this day for 25 years in their history ever. It's called Grumman and Dursky. It's all men. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to fit in here. And in fact, I was basically told I was too ambitious. And but one of those guys that I never met with when I was interviewing left and started to firm with some other entertainment attorneys. And he was telling them, he's like, oh, I just met with this woman and then we're going to hire her and her name is Jennifer Justice. And they were like, oh yeah, we interviewed her at Grubman. She was just too ambitious. And he was like, why is that a problem? He's like, it's just further like showing me why I needed to leave and start my own firm. And so they hired me. Jay-Z was a client when I got there, but he'd brand new client. He hadn't released an album with them or anything yet. I think maybe one. So when I got there, before he was about to release Hard Knock Life, from there, your reputation is set and you start getting other kind of clients that are like the client that you've been successful with. 
Yeah. It wasn't just representing hip hop. I was representing Mark Ronson and other clients that were and executives and stuff. But in general, what I found was when it came to being front in business uh-huh. and in legal and getting a lawyer, we all were from the same background in that we all came from nothing. Most of the men had single moms and their fathers weren't in their life, which was my experience as well for the most part of my life, not the second half. And it's really intimidating when you're going to business and you have to make these kinds of decisions about a record deal or, you know, it's more than just the money. Yeah. Do they own it forever? And somebody who can explain it to you that doesn't make you feel like an asshole or is a, you know, star fucker, really. Right. And I was neither of those things. I just really connected on a basic level. And I could tell if somebody felt intimidated. I was like, I just want you to know I came from nothing. Okay. Like my mom didn't graduate high school. And it just made them more at ease. It's like, I wasn't going to judge them. I was like, I do this because I can't do what you do. And you're not like you would want to do what I do, but you can't. So we have to help each other. We're in a team. Yeah. And at a time where it was like, people weren't talking about racism and people weren't talking about that it was bad, by the way. But shit was being said about my clients that I was like, what? If, if it weren't for them, you couldn't buy your second Hamptons house. <laughs> Wait. They're literally funding your entire lifestyle. And you're going to say that? So I quickly realized that with women being paid less than men of, you know, higher stature or the, you know, being questioned about wanting morals clauses because, you know, I'll give you one example. Yeah. So we were doing a deal with a company based in St. Louis for one of my male black hip hop artists. And they had this massive morals clause. And I was like, you got to take it out. And they're like, what do you mean? I can't take out a morals clause. And I was like, the fact that he's a black man is offensive in St. Louis alone. So take it out. And they did. Your city is known to be super racist. Now, this was like 20 years ago. I was like, it's known. And they did. They took it out. Because they basically were admitting it. I just realized that like, when I'm passionate about something, that's how I channel everything. And I'm a massive advocate. And I usually skew toward one side and swing to the pendulum. I don't really operate in the middle very well. And I just don't understand how people can, honestly. I love that. And so that's what we had in common. They knew that I would fight. I was never, ever shy about not defending, but negotiating on behalf of or getting the best for my client. Right. I just was never scared of that. Asking for what they deserve. Never. After everything that you're saying, I'm seeing a lot of obviously common threads that are going through, but your sort of scrappiness, tenaciousness, and sense of fight. You've basically had to fight for everything from the time you were young, like little, fighting to, I think in one interview, you said a lot of your schoolmates uh, had last names that matched buildings. <laughs> and Oh, yeah, that was at Cornell, yeah. Your sense of fight and understanding that you have to build everything and not just build it, that you're going to face a lot of headwind, a lot of opposition on multiple fronts. I feel like that's threaded through all the way to now, you're starting your business. And now you're laying a lot of the groundwork for all of the other women who come up behind you to learn what you have been able to navigate very successfully. Is that fair to say? That's like lower income and sense of maybe some of the early challenges were so seminal and defining. 
that sense of fight was obviously seeded there and took root and grew. Yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely a difference between nature versus nurture. And I was definitely not nurtured for this. I was born with it. And I don't know why, because it's not like the rest of my family has the same. Fine, which is totally fine. But then you can look at families like the Emmanuel's, Ari Emmanuel and his brother Rom, and then they have a really successful brother and they come from nothing. It's just like weird how sometimes it's, right. it's just in you. Like I, I can never explain it. It's how I was my entire life. I was really shy and were cold, like your voice didn't really matter. But then I found my voice. I found my voice later on and, and I was like, I'm going to use it and I'm going to use it for good and I'm not going to back down. That's amazing. I think a lot of people either, if they can even have the awareness that you have, your sense of commitment to helping others and community and camaraderie, I feel personally like it's disappearing. I don't know if people even know how to spell it, let alone how to advocate and build it. Do you agree with that statement or do you disagree with that statement? What are your points of view? And what would your encouragement be in terms of, it feels like the harder we work, we're taking, we're just backsliding. It's like this futile effort. How do you overcome and manage that so people don't get so exhausted or frustrated or feel like we're fighting a losing battle? Some days it's two steps up, one step back. But if you don't do it, then who's going to? Yeah. Like I have a boy and a girl. They just turned 10 years old. Like I've got to fight for their future. This is not even an option for me. Right. If not now, when, and if not you, who? I have the luxury of being able to do it. Not like I'm like rolling in money and I'm still a woman. So I wasn't paid like men have been paid over the years and didn't have the opportunities that they had at all. I was left out of a lot of that portion of it. But I have the belief in myself that I can continue to help and build and make space for women. So much was always about like, charities and the charity for this and the philanthropy for this and putting money here and asking women to buy a table and a gala. But if you really think about it, most, if not all, charities were started due to the greed of white men. Why are we feeding that? And they're starting to become redundant, right? The whole reason is to solve a problem, but none of them have ever solved a problem. Unfortunately, they just get bigger. When you have a company where an executive director is getting paid a million dollars, you have to ask yourself in a charitable organization, what's the point of this charitable organization? Is it really helping anything? Yeah. So if we're in a capitalist society with a patriarchal system, the one thing you can do is try to move some of that money into the other hands of the people that are not in power. And you can do that when you have certain facts, like women control 80% of the purchasing power. Okay, great. I don't care if you work or not, but you have 80% of the purchasing power because you take your husband's money or your father's money, or you take your own money Yes. and 80% of it goes to the right places. That's a great start. That's a shift in power dynamics right there. That's a massive you know, shift. And you put more capital in the hands of the others. We've never seen a capitalist society where the others have equal wealth to white men. What would we do with that? I guarantee you, if you and I started a company, joined you know, our podcast together, we sold our company for $100 million, I seriously doubt we'd each get into our own private plane, drive to a private island to have sex with underage boys, okay? <laughs> that's not happening. But that's what happened <laughs> with Jeffrey Epstein. 
because they don't even know what to do with themselves anymore. Okay. <laughs> the only way to prove me wrong is for us to have equal wealth. Okay. First of all, I fucking love that. Two, I'm totally down for joining our podcasts, but yeah, I will absolutely confirm right now emphatically that I will not be driving into a private island ever to have sex with underage boys. Oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's tra traditional lending circles with women. There's example over example over example. When we put the you know money in the hands of women, like A, we make more profits, B, we actually pay it forward. Yes. So we pay off our debts faster. Yeah. We don't waste our money as much. We want to, you know, make the world better, not worse with our money. Making the world better is not going to the fucking moon. When women are equal, we can go to the moon. Okay. But that is just fucking stupid. How much money that is spent on these so Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos can try to prove they have a bigger penis. Like their penises don't grow because of this. Okay. I'm sorry. You're dealt with what you're dealt with. Never getting bigger. Oh my God. And also the things that they're spending up there, it looks like a penis. Obvious. <laughs> I mean, I think they're the only two that don't realize that. <laughs> oh my God. I fucking love you so much. But here's also the other thing, right? Okay. You, ha you are, so oh my God, I'm like crying. Um, you are so self-realized and self-confident and and you were born with this. Maybe some of this was genetic. Obviously, a lot of this was learned also. And you've been fighting this war for decades, for a long time. Many women do not have that or have that footing or that sense of self to ask for anything. And I think you said something else that I wanted to quote. You said, unless you ask for it, the answer is no. And you should always ask for more than what you think. Yeah. Hopefully you'll land somewhere in the middle. Yeah and this is my perspective, how the world sees you and how you see yourself are two very different things. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like two tectonic plates, right? And it doesn't make a difference of what color you are, what gender, whatever. It, everyone's in different quote unquote categories and they usually butt heads. So my question to you is, how do you maneuver that? Because going back to your school days, you know, you were like, what prep are you going to? And you're like, prepping what? Like, what am I prepping for? Mm-hmm. A lot of times people, because they're not as self-realized, have been indoctrinated to think they are less than or they do not have the right to ask or challenge something. You've been able to challenge all of it and have come out on top and you are stronger for it. Going back in your college days, like people get bullied. You I probably had some of that. Mm -hmm. How do were you not going, oh, okay, this is what I am despite the fact that you didn't know what prep school was, you came from a lower income, these kids were like way ahead and had all this privilege. And I'm sure you faced some of that, the haves versus have nots. Mm -hmm. How were you able to sustain sort of the, the messages and the images that the society was telling you? Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I think though, I have to backtrack to one of the first things that you said in this, um, you know, which was, in this like question part was yeah the thing is is it, it's a true belief that the world will be a better place when women are equal to men because that's what confidence that is a true belief because to me it is insane <laughs> that like let's say in fact if all of a sudden we found out that asian people um were it was totally fine right were paid uh, man, male, let's, let's say, let's say it's men. Okay. Asian men were paid 50 cents on the dollar. 
people outraged. Yeah. Because there's no population of men that actually make less than a white woman. It could be true in blue collar stuff, but not in the executive ranks, not even close. Right. A lot of false facts around that. You know, people, oh my God, I can't believe that. Let's say it's gay men. Right. Oh my God, couldn't. But for some reason, when 50% of the population is paid less, women, it's all fine. Get less. It's crazy. So it's a belief that I have. Yeah. And I also truly believe that it's ridiculous that Elon and Jeff Bezos are wasting all this money on going to space and that people are like paying attention to it. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) I believe these things and I have the confidence to say it because I believe it. Right. Every morning I wake up going, I'm the poor little girl that people made fun of. Know what I mean? Or, you know, yeah, I was always pretty and I have big boobs, but then they didn't, you know, I like literally, um, that Reese Witherspoon law movie, Legally Blonde. Yeah, yeah, Legally Blonde. That was me. I said some of the things that she actually said. Like, that's how people treated me. Oh, my God. I was just stupid because there's no way I could be pretty and smart, you know? Yeah. Everyone comes with their something. And I get it. There's some that's much worse because it's a general belief in the population. But everyone comes with their something. So, you know, I wake up every day going, why do people want to talk to me? I don't know what I'm going to say. No, 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 no. If anybody's ever been through therapy and particular cognitive behavioral therapy, right. I have to tell myself this belief is stupid. It's a limiting belief. I have like I have to do that every day. Oh wow. So I'm there too. So a lot of the women who come to me, what I have to say to them is and then they're like, Oh, I'm sorry, I should know this. And I was like, Why would you know this? I went to school to do this. This is what I do. Right. Okay. I can't do what you do. I can't just go in your job and do it. So like, why would you think you should, you would know how to negotiate like I do or, or stand up for you? The other thing is this, I would never represent myself because I won't ask for what I deserve. That's so interesting. And when he offered me the job to do rock nation, he goes, Oh no, who am I going to use as an attorney? And I go, who am I going to use? And he was like, wait, you're going to hire an attorney. And I was like, any lawyer that represents themselves has a fool for a client. Of course. And of course I hired an attorney, a woman. And of course she got me more money than I even thought I was going to ask for. That's awesome. Because that's how it should be. You know, you shouldn't be negotiating for yourself. If you're a VP and above, you should not be negotiating for yourself. You should not. You can hire attorneys to do that. Men do it all day long. They are still competitive. But the thing is, is they love to brag about like, oh, I paid my lawyer $50,000. That means you're making 2.5. You know what I mean? It's like you're making a ton of money. Oh my God. Because you're usually paying 5%. If you're paying your lawyer a lot of money, then that means you're making a lot. Yeah. They share all their information and we like hide it. Yeah. Yeah. God. There's a lot to be learned about it. It's like what they do with their money and how they use it for, you know, (laughs) abuse it yeah. is, is really oh my god like and look who knows we have that much money maybe we would start abusing it too yeah i don't think so i'll <laughs> challenge you with that let's just make that you know 100 billion first i mean again who knows yeah. you know? let's make that money first jj i'm just having the best time with you but will you sign us off for now will you let me know who you are and what you represent This is so hard, honestly. I mean, when you do it like that, because I think there's like some people who are like creatives and like, oh, and I'm the, you know, wind beneath your wings, you know? (laughs) Um, But uh, (laughs) that's why you come back and you can do different versions because we'll find you at different places in your life. 
but you can answer this any way that you want. I would say I'm Jennifer Justice and I represent the value you didn't know you deserved. And there you have it, guys, the incredible journey of Jennifer Justice, just an unwavering force in the entertainment industry and beyond. Her story is a testament to breaking barriers, championing equality and building a community and legacy that resonates far beyond the surface. JJ, for me and her experiences, it will always be a source of perspective and inspiration, reminding me that I can also always positively contribute. A huge thank you to JJ, not only for her time coming on the show, but really just all the work that she's doing every single day. Be sure to check out her podcast, Taking Care of Lady Business. I'll have the link to her series and her social handles in the show notes for you. Now, if you like this episode and you'd like to support it, you can do that simply by sharing, subscribing, and downloading. If you really want to get wild, you can buy me a coffee. Those links will also be available to you in the show notes. I am so close to hitting a huge milestone, guys. I'm going to be hitting my 100th episode, and I need your help. What do you think I should do to mark this occasion? Because it's big. Well, I need your ideas. So hit me up on my gram at repin underscore podcast. And also, you can check out my YouTube and reach me there at repin podcast. I want to be doing a few things that will help me lead up to my 100th that are special. So DM me with your ideas. Now, I'm asking Nelson and Gracie, but neither of them really have any ideas. But I love and thank them both for everything else they do. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No. She was sent here anonymously. Uh Uh-uh. Not she. They, maybe? Wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often? Every night.